This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. In today's program, I've got our guest, uh, Beckett Cook, with us. We're going to be discussing homosexuality from a Christian perspective. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys, stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. We've got an exciting program for you today, but before we dive into the subject, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded, which means if you want to support the channel, we're not going to prevent you from doing so. There are links in the description. Uh, Top link is for PayPal. The bottom link or the link right beneath it is for Patreon. If you give on PayPal, it's a one-time gift of any amount, but if you want to give on Patreon as low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content. Lots of really cool stuff coming down the Remnant Network. Uh, Maybe even conferences and stuff coming up in the near future. We'll see uh, more to announce in the future. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to uh, my partner in crime, Michael Roundtree. How are you doing over there in Oklahoma? I am doing well over here in Oklahoma. In fact, just just talking before the show with Beckett Cook, whom we're really excited to interview, who thought we were both in Texas because we used to be in Texas. And then, Beckett, you let out the whenever we told you we had moved to Oklahoma, you said, oh, so I just want to ask you, what was that all about? Like, what's wrong with Oklahoma, man? There's nothing wrong with Oklahoma. I said, oh, and the reason I said, oh, and then I noticed that there was a de- delay on my my sound. So then I got distracted by that. It wasn't any negative uh, reflection okay. on o- Oklahoma. Oklahoma is okay. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, uh, hey, Beckett, super exciting to uh, have you on our show. And it's just, uh, it's, it's exciting to see just the way God has blessed your channel and the way you've been able to reach so many people and the, the testimony that you have and your, your insight into so much that's uh, going on culturally uh, in our world and how that inter- intersects with the scripture. And then I'm also extra excited because you are a reformed charismatic. Um, I don't know if it was okay that I said that on the show. I don't think he's trying to out himself on either of those fronts. I don't think he was like charismatic or reformed Great. for things he wanted I'm to get a lot of emails. Okay. Life. Sorry. I should have asked permission to share things you told us before the show, but uh, I won't tell anyone that you told us you spoke in tongues. So um, anyway, <laughs> back uh, so excited to, to have you on the show. Uh, maybe you could just, before we jump into the content, Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your own show and ministry and how people can get connected with you. Yeah, I mean, I was saved out of a life of homosexuality in in September of 2009 in Hollywood, which is where I live in West Hollywood now in the heart of darkness. And um, and it's been I mean, the the my conversion experience at, a, at this evangelical church was so 
profound. It was such a, a kind of road to Damascus moment. It was like this, the first time I went, it was my first time ever at an evangelical church and I heard the gospel and it was just like, boom. And the Holy Spirit just revealed God to me. And uh, God, I, I remember, you know, just in my mind, God said, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I just, you know, started weeping and we, I mean, uncontrollably weeping for a long time. And then it happened. And this is a key kind of moment because it happened again. When I got home after the service, I got in bed, into bed to take a nap because I was so overwhelmed by it all. And God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. And, and I just burst into tears and I jumped out of my bed in the middle of my bedroom. I said, God, you have my whole life. I'm yours. I'm done. And I knew in that moment to the core of my being, I knew that homosexual behavior was sinful. I knew that it was not my identity anymore. I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future, but I didn't care because I just met Jesus. And I'm like, I'm going with that guy. Good riddance to that old life. And, and so my, and then I, in 2014, God called me to seminary. I got my master's in theology. And then, uh, and then since then I was for, for a, for the last 20 plus years in, in Hollywood, I was a production designer. But when my book came out, A Change of Affection in 2019, I kind of got basically canceled in Hollywood. And, and then in 2020, I started my YouTube show called The Becca Cook Show, and uh, where I look at culture through a biblical lens. And so I've been doing that for the last couple of years. And, I've, and I also, go around the country and speak at uh, churches and conferences and uh, universities. So that's what I've been up to. You mentioned and before I, the show that you, this wasn't your, your first introduction to Christianity, right? Like you mentioned that were you, you were raised around Christian spaces. Is that right? Before you had this kind of encounter, you want to pack that for me a little bit? Well, I was raised uh, Roman Catholic. So I, I, the youngest of eight kids in a large, a very large Roman Catholic family. And so I, you know, I grew up in Dallas, Texas and went to Jesuit schools my whole life. And, um, so I, I was very familiar with religion and, you know, I, I was aware of it, but I honestly, like during, you know, in, in elementary school and in high school, I don't think I ever once heard the gospel. Um, I was the, the, the gospel was always kind of obfuscated and it was never clearly presented because and, and we had religion class every day. I was in religion class every day for 12 years. And I, I don't all I kind of remember is like studying Thomas Aquinas. And it was never like really digging into the word of God in the Bible. And, you know, I, it's like I look back on those days. And I'm like, why didn't we spend the 12 years learning Greek and Hebrew and memorizing scripture. And there's so many things we could have done, but yeah, so I do. And my, all of my siblings are believers. My parents are in heaven right now. And there was kind of a reformation in my family. My brother went off to college and he uh, got, my brother got saved through young life. Maybe, maybe it was high school. I can't remember. It was high school or college, but he got saved through young life. And he came, he was kind of like the Martin Luther <laughs> of my family. And, and when he came uh, 
home, he he basically kind of dragged uh, several of my family members along with him into Protestantism. And several of my family members still remain in, in the Roman Catholic Church, but they are genuine believers. Um, they've been born again. So it's, it's kind of this complex, I don't know how to even describe it, but uh, so yeah, I, 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 I was very aware of God and the Trinity and who Jesus was and his death and resurrection, obviously. And, but it, it had no impact on my life because, you know, early, very in high school, I was coming of age and I knew I was attracted to the same sex. And so God was the last thing on my mind. You know, I was, I was very precocious. I was going to, you know, nightclubs and gay bars in high school. I was 15, 14 and 15 years old going to these clubs and night and bars. I don't know how I got into these places, but, uh, so God was the last thing I was concerned about. And, and I, and even when I moved to Los Angeles in, in 1993, uh, God was not even an option for me or any of my friends. We didn't even speak of God because we all assumed God didn't exist. We didn't, we never had to even utter the word God because we all believed it was just a myth like any other ancient myth. And so, so yeah, I, um, it wasn't until this encounter in 2009 that changed my entire life that I understood what the gospel was and who God is in Jesus. That's awesome. So, uh, one of the things you mentioned that whenever God showed himself to you is that you knew immediately that this was not your identity anymore. Uh, so I want to unpack that a little bit because the one of the major talking points for LGBTQ and all of those who affirm that entire movement is basically, well, hey, this is your identity. This is you were born this way so you can live this way. And uh, and anyone who argues otherwise is arguing against something that is very core to your being. And then you come and you have a a spiritual experience and in a moment reverse what has had at that point been, I guess, maybe, I mean, many years of believing otherwise about how identity even works. So just, can you just unpack, uh, I mean, how would you respond to the idea that God creates some people gay and they're just being the way God created them to be? Unpack the identity argument for us and your understanding of it then and now. Yeah, I mean, well, when I was living as a gay man, and when I, I mean, it feels, it's so powerful. It feels like your identity. It feels like who you are. So I, I would always bristle at the idea when, when like my siblings would say things like hate the sin, love the sinner. I'm like, I was, I was always upset by and offended by that because I'm like, how can you hate half of me and love half of me? So mm-hmm. I get it. Like it's, it's, it's a very, and, and what unraveled that for me was the power of the Holy spirit. Um, and so the idea of being born gay, first of all, just because the culture says you're born gay, doesn't mean it's true. Just because Lady Gaga says it's you're born gay, doesn't mean it's, it's, true and there's basically there's three the three dominant theories on on why someone becomes same-sex attracted are uh, genetic predisposition uh hormonal in utero and uh you know nature so i mean i'm sorry nurture so like you know a distant father an overbearing mother kind of thing 
no scientist worth his or her salt would ever say they know the answer to that question. So it's, it's still very much debated. No one knows. Um, but here's the deal. It doesn't matter. It's a moot point because we're all born with sinful, innate desires. And that doesn't mean we act on them. We're, are, we're corrupted by the fall. Because of the fall, we're corrupted mind, body, soul, spirit. And, and it's the, you know, the doctrine of total depravity. We're, we're corrupted. And so uh, it doesn't matter. Even if a scientist, even if the, on, in the New York Times today, if it's a scientist discovers gay gene, I would say, so what? Like mm -hmm. our genetic coding is corrupted by, because of the fall. So we're, we're, you know, we're not only born in sin, we're conceived in sin. So to me, Obviously, it's a it's a moot point whether you're born gay or not. Um, you, I mean, you could very well a person could very well be genetically predisposed to homosexual attraction. But um, for me personally, I think it was a combo platter. I think it, I think it was a mix. Actually, I think for me it was a mix of in utero hormonal stuff and uh, and also kind of you know, distant father, because my father was, was a, a lawyer. He was, he had eight kids. He was very, very busy. And we had very little contact, very little. We had, we, we basically had, didn't have a relationship. And I, my, my relationship with my mother was very intense. And, and so that, I think that had a lot to do with it as well. So, um, so, but anyway, the point is it's all, it doesn't matter because, uh, we're, we're all born in sin and we're all corrupted by sin. And so that's why we have to be born again. So, okay, so that's a good place to get into this next spot because, okay, uh, we don't get our anthropology from Lady Gaga. That's my favorite clip I'm ever going to share on YouTube. <laughs> that's going to be good. Uh, and then next to that, uh, it's not about what caused this sin. So it could it, you know, could you be an alcoholic because you have a genetic predisposition to alcohol? Yeah, possibly. There might be a genetic component to that. Could it be because you used uh, alcohol and, and abused that substance for so long that you've built a dependency on it? Yep, that could be it too. But regardless, the law of God says, hey, uh, alcohol, um, alcoholism, alco uh, be being intoxicated is unacceptable. You can't violate this. So, so it kind of gets into this idea. You just mentioned being born again. So if no matter whether I have a disposition towards a thing or I've grown in, in into a desire of that thing or uh, maybe have a something that happened in my childhood that caused me to to use alcohol and i'm using this this connection between alcohol uh, as a as a replacement for homosexuality um but but what does that mean for us in the the new birth process of being born again because when you're born again you you have these rules regulations that kind of uh, inform your conduct and now inform your new nature of being sober-minded of being in control uh and, and allowing the spirit to take control of your life you're no longer uh you know <laughs> getting real Pentecostal with my own Pentecostal. They call it spirits for a reason, you know. Anyway, um, uh, using those kinds of comparisons, I can see Beckett's chuckling at me on the other line. Uh, inform me on what does it mean to be born again and our new identity in Christ and how that informs the homosexual conversation. Yeah, I forgot to mention, by the way, I was molested by my friend's father when I was nine years old. So that also was a, probably a huge component in that. Certainly, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, the new birth changes everything. I mean, it's funny because uh, I think in the, the 70s, Jimmy Carter, when he was president, he, he kind of made the, the term born again Christian popular in culture. Uh, 
Um, but I always say there's no such, that's redundant. There's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been born again. So, um, so the, but the new birth, you, when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, you have, you literally have supernatural power to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow, deny your desires, deny your sinful desires, take up your cross and follow Jesus. You have the supernatural power and you have the gifts of the, uh, you have um, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I I skipped over some, but self-control. And so, um, so that being, as I said, you, you know, we're, as you said too, we're a new creation in Christ. The old man has passed away. So we're this new creation. We're united to Christ. Christ is in us. We're in Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. I mean, it's, it's a supernatural uh, phenomenon. And, and that is what gives me the power to, to turn away from sin, the power to live my life for the glory of God and um, the power to uh, yeah, just the power to deny my flesh and to, and to kill, you know, to mortify the flesh that gives me the power. So it's not like I'm, you know, white knuckling it, you know, and just saying, Oh, these are the rules of the Bible and I have to do these things to be a good person. And no, no, I have supernatural power by the Holy spirit because I've been born again and regenerated. So um, I have a renewed mind. So, so yeah, is that the answer to your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's, that's good. So um, talk to us about just the label then, given this identity conversation and being born again as this new creation. When somebody says, I'm a gay Christian, how do you respond to that? Is that a thing? Or do you say, well, you're, you're a Christian who happens to be same uh, same sex attracted? I mean, like, how do you even unpack that kind of uh, that kind of language? Is it fair to say? Is it fair for somebody to say I am a gay Christian? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a couple of there's two kinds of gay Christians, if you will, uh, which is tricky. So the 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 first kind is which is called side A Christianity, which is which is that that label somehow came into being side A Christianity, which is which is gay men and women who believe that homosexual behavior is not sinful and not in that it's good. Homosexual behavior is good and not only good, but righteous and even holy. And so that that's, that's troublesome because obviously um, I'll just read, I mean, I'm just going to read first John a couple of verses because first John says, John says, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And notice it's, it's a kind of continuous, continual uh, kind of practice of sinning. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, so for me being a gay in terms of that side a category and being a gay christian is a square circle it's an impossibility because you and and the the trouble too is i talk about this in my book it's this sin issue is the same i I have a whole section called same but different because there's gay pride parades but not greed pride parades not gossip pride parades not tax collector pride parades um so it's become in our culture, it's become such a powerful identity 
that it's very difficult to untangle that. And uh, so again, like being a quote unquote gay Christian is like being an elderly baby. It just, you can't, it doesn't exist. You can't, you can't. And the, and the, and again, the problem too is if you believe that homosexual behavior is not a sin, then you'll never repent of that. So, you know, if you're, if you commit adultery or if you, you know, steal something or you're, and you're a Christian, you're at some point, you're going to repent of that, hopefully. And, but if you don't think that homosexual behavior is wrong, you'll never repent of that. And without repentance, there's no salvation. So the other category is side B Christianity. Now this is more nuanced and, um, and I talk about this in my book too, but, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's Christian, it's Christians who believe that homosexual behavior, they believe in the biblical sexual ethic. They believe homosexual behavior is wrong, is sinful, but they still identify as gay Christians or queer Christians. And they sometimes can call themselves sexual minorities, which the Bible knows nothing of. The Bible only knows of sexual sin, not sexual minorities. That's, that's a fault. That's a fake category. It's a Freudian category. And and so I, I, and I know people who are side B Christians, and I believe they're genuine Christians, but I don't understand why they still hold on to that old man, to that old identity. Why would you hold, again, because we're new creations in Christ, why would you hold on to that, that old sinful identity? And, and, and using kind of the, the term gay Christian, it's like profane and sacred together. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like holding on to your binky, you know, and, and for security. And the, and the real problem with it is that you're, you're cutting off the Holy Spirit from sanctifying that part of you. If you're holding on to that identity and, and this is like, I'm a queer Christian, then you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify that part of you, which is, which is spiritually extremely unhealthy. So that's, so that's, uh, that's kind of the two different yeah. categories of. Okay. So, so side A, can I ask a question of clarification? Side A is saying um, it's perfectly permissible and acceptable. Um, no matter what the law of God says, we're, we're going to say that it's acceptable. It sounds like it's just reframing uh, of biblical ethics. Side B says, uh, this is sinful and wrong. But did I hear you correctly in saying that side B is still trying to hold on to the identity and say, I am a gay Christian. Being gay is wrong and it's sinful. I'm going to call team. myself this. I'm predisposed to this. I have these attractions, but I'm going to keep calling myself a gay Christian in the same way that the person who was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic Christian. Like it just, it's like you said, it's, it's a logical inconsistency. It's not a, it's not a thing. You can't be an alcoholic and a Christian. I am a Christian and this predisposition to alcoholism that I have, I need to put to death by the power of the spirit in my life in the, in, in faith that Christ has actually done what he said he did. Is that, is that, those are the two categories that you're offering. One is it's okay Two, it's bad, but I'm going to keep the label. Those are the two, those yeah. are the only two. We only have A and B, no C. I, I feel like there should be a C. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I'm sure a C will, will pop up at some point, but so far I think it's just A and B, but that's correct. Okay, well, Beckett, uh, I, so this is a little personal. I'm just curious about your own experience. I'm guessing that whenever you first met Jesus, 
you probably, or maybe you did. What happened to your same-sex desires? Were they just utterly dissipated, or did you have to keep mortifying those uh, desires? How did that work out for you? Uh, yeah, it would, would, when people ask me that, I'm like, I ask, I usually do what Jesus does and ask a question in, in response. Do you still <laughs> struggle with indwelling sin? But I'll give you the real answer is that, um, that <laughs> it was quite, God had so much grace on me. And let's say I, I, I use this example, like this illustration, the, let's, let's say the day before or the day right before I got saved, my my same-sex attraction was at 100%. Well, right after I got saved, it plummeted because of God's grace. That, that attraction plummeted to, and I hate using percentages because, you know, Satan's going to hear that. Anyway, it plummeted to like 10, you know, negligible, like 10%, 5%. And so I still... Um, experience same-sex attraction once in a while. Uh, before I was a Christian, sexuality dominated my thought life. It dominated my my life, my friends' lives. Um, it's what we talked about all the time. This is, I mean, we all constantly talked about, oh, who did you meet last night? Or what did you do last night? Where did you spend the night? You know, and, but now it does, I rarely think about it except when you ask me this question, I rarely <laughs> think about it. Way um, to go, Michael. Way yeah, to go. great. And, uh, uh, but it's, it's so it's minimal. And I, but again, when I do, you know, when I do experience that, so let's say I'm out in Los Angeles and I, you know, I'm at the grocery store or whatever, and I see someone and I feel this kind of, kind of impulse, this attraction, I stop myself and I say, God, okay, what's going on right now, God? I, I know that what I'm desiring right now is intimacy. And I know that that person, that is not going to give me real intimacy. You are going to give me real intimacy. So I, I just ask for your Holy Spirit right now to fill that void. Whatever is, whatever that longing is, is in my heart. I, I ask your spirit to fill that. And and God does it all, all the time. He does. He just fills that void and it's just like, boom, and it's gone. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a thorn in the flesh. And, you know, as obviously Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh to be removed three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And, and that's, you know, I, I would, um, I would love to be, completely free of this and i pray and i've prayed for many years and i've had many people pray for me about this uh elders at my church pastors and etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh i would love to be completely free of this disordered desire in my heart that's still you know you know it's still somewhat there um but if god if, if it, God doesn't take it away, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly happy denying that aspect of myself. And I'm, I'm, you know, and, and again, and again, his grace is plenty. It's sufficient. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that I'm in the kingdom of God, that I have eternal life, which is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a big deal to have eternal life. Um, the fact I'm that I'm in God's, 
that I have in his kingdom and I have a relationship with the king of the universe that's so amazing and intimate and like he's incredible. So the fact that that exists, um, it just overshadows any kind of feelings of, you know, oh, this is, you know, my woe is me or, you know, my life is difficult or, you know, I, I've never once felt an ounce of pity, self-pity over not being able to act out on my desires in any way um, yeah. or not be able to have a life partner, so so to speak. Um, I've never once felt that self-pity and I've never, and, and I, I always say this, you know, I'm going to say it again. People, you know, they ask, people ask me, especially when I first got saved, my friends were like, isn't it unfair that you can't have a partner for the rest of your life? And I'm like, no, like <laughs> what's unfair is that Jesus had to be crucified, tortured and beaten. And for my sins, that's unfair. My life. You I mean, are reformed. I can see it now. <laughs> you can see the report coming out. And so, uh, so I've never, yeah, I, I just never feel that way. And, and again, you know, I have the Holy Spirit, so I'm, I'm able by the, his power, the power of the spirit to, to mortify the flesh. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, it's not fully, uh, gone. And I, you know, there are some days I wish, and I'm not, I'm not, I have not been attracted to a woman. Um, however, God can, he created the universe. He can do anything and that could happen. And I'm totally open to that. So we'll, we'll see to be, to, to be continued. Yeah. Praise God. And, and is that, is that how you would typically uh, encourage someone that's in a similar space? You know, if someone's out, there's definitely people, I've got friends that are probably watching this program right now who uh, had the same kind of same sex attraction, come to Christ, realize, okay, this is outside of the law of God. The law of God defines what sin is, what sin isn't. Okay, I've realized that this is what it is. I need the work of the Spirit to renew my heart, to crucify that flesh in me, but also to to produce the fruits of the Spirit within me. I'm acknowledging this is this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And they, they kind of put everything on pause. Would you would you offer to them, okay, for that individual uh, celibacy and or a work of God that would that would draw a kind of a heterosexual attraction into your heart? Are those the the primary options? But but even then, that option of you know singleness to the glory of God. We did an episode. Uh, on singleness and how uh, singleness points us to an eschatological future um, where married people need single people in the church of God. Because as we look to single people, we see someone who's fully satisfied in God and God alone. And we have an image of what the age to come is going to look like when there's not marriage and given in marriage. And there's another you know, side where the single people need married people so they can look to see what the relationship with Christ in the church is like that there are these parallels to our relationship. So would you how do you typically encourage people who are going the same kind of, you know, same sex attraction? Would you, would you give them the, you know, I, I say hope as if that's the norm for all people It's just, right. Hey, you've got to get married. But is that, is that something that you offer people, encourage people? Do you, you set those options? Is there a third option I'm missing? Um, what, what would you instruct people who are kind of going through the same process? No, I, I mean, I would say, you know, Paul says in first Corinthians seven, as you were talking about, you know, it's better to be single. <laughs> Paul says, I wish you could be single like I am. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, I would encourage people that, you know, embrace that singleness because Paul was single, Jesus was single. And 
when you're single, as Paul says in First Corinthians seven, you have you can you have more time to devote to the kingdom. You're not your time isn't divided by you know wife and kids, and that takes up a lot of your time, as you guys probably know. Um, and so I I don't think there's this kind of idea of like oh hold on to this hope that. Because I, I think that's that's a dangerous thing to do is to say, you know, oh, God's going to heal you of that. And he's going to take that desire away from you, that same sex attraction away from you completely. Because I've seen this happen to so many people and I get so many emails and messages about this where young people say, you know, I've prayed for so many years and God hasn't taken away this desire. So I'm giving up on God. Well, God doesn't owe you that. You know? God doesn't owe. He's never promised that as believers we're going to have this kind of you know easy life. In fact, he 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 uh, promises the opposite that we're going to have difficulties and struggles and trials. And, yeah, yeah, and that you know the uh, you know the all the apostles except John were martyred. Um, and so being a Christian isn't like it's not this kind of easy road it's it's a it's, it's a difficult and jesus says you know the, it's a it's a narrow path and uh and so yeah i would i would um i would tell i just urge people who are in this situation to embrace the, this time of being single and use it to the glory of god and use it for the kingdom and you know obviously it's not going to be easy all the time and it's i i get it like it's not easy um to be single there there are times where i'm like there are moments where i'm just like you know it'd be nice to i don't know have a partner in life it's like when i go on a trip or when i go speak somewhere it's like i i'm alone and it would be nice to have my wife come with me um but uh but you know that's for now that's not that's not the case and um but again this you know this life is a mist it's a vapor it it goes by in two seconds and you know at the end of your life it's like what do you want to hear when you meet christ face to face like well done my good and faithful servant or depart from me i never knew you i mean it's like this life is so short and we have to as paul says again we have to make use of the time and um or does the wait does Paul say that or is it Peter I can't remember or uh, so um so yeah I I would just say like don't don't hold out don't necessarily hold out for this kind of hope like God's gonna heal me completely of this desire and if he doesn't I'm going to be really angry at God or fall away because that's that's a dangerous place to be in yeah I, I love that. I mean, I just think of Romans chapter seven, where Paul says, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Um, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I know some people try to interpret that as though Paul's talking about his pre-conversion experience. But uh, in my opinion, that's an explaining away of the text. And uh, and what he's really saying is that this is the experience of believers, that we have this indwelling sin. This is all of us, not just those who have some same-sex attraction, but all of us have indwelling sin. And it's not until Jesus returns that we experience our full sanctification because we'll be done with the body of death and we'll have a resurrected body of glory. As it says in 1 John 3, when we see him, we'll be like him. 
for we'll see him as he is. And uh, by the way, uh, he who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he himself is pure. So uh, there's actually a purifying effect of placing your hope in Jesus' return when he gives you a glorified body and releases you from this one that has indwelling sin. Um, okay, Praise so I, yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I want to kind of sh- sh- shift gears slightly, ever so slightly toward more like we as Christians, our attitude and behavior and approach with those who are in the LGBTQ world. And of course, the big question to affirm or not to affirm. And uh, we as Orthodox believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who affirm the his, uh, would naturally affirm the historic, uh, uh, historic definition of sexuality uh, that dates back not just through church history and all Jewish history, but to the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. Um, of course, we're going to affirm uh, biblical sexuality and not the latest culture. But with that said, we, uh, we all have friends. We all have family members. Uh, we even know entire churches that have gone on the way of affirming. And, uh, and I'd love to just kind of hear how, how you would recommend responding to certain uh, maybe things that come up. Maybe a friend, has, uh, a friend is gay and they invite you to a gay wedding. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who's gay and they invite you to their gay wedding. Uh, maybe they, they want you to call them by their pronouns uh, and, they're tra- uh, and, and they're, they've transitioned fully. And it just some of these difficult cultural issues, I'd love for you to talk to us about what does love look like in these situations? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I was so ha- I was so um, thank I'm so grateful that so when I, the week before I went to this church in Hollywood, I was, the reason I went to this church was because I was at a coffee shop the week before with my best friend who was gay. And we met a group of Christians and we got into this long conversation and I asked them, you know, I said, what's your, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they, they, they just, they said, we believe it's a sin. They didn't try to bait and switch me. And I appreciated their honesty. Um, I appreciated how forthright they were. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, because that's actually, that's actually loving your neighbor is telling them the truth. And Jesus was obviously Mm -hmm. a master at this in the gospels. You know, he, he balanced grace and truth perfectly. And, and he, um, the what, what's that quote? I'm gonna wait. Where's this quote? Um, Calvin Robinson was on my show, and he said, "I mean, I think this has been said before, but he says that Christ spent time with tax collectors and sinners, but it is they who went away changed, not Christ." Mm-hmm. And so, um, in terms of, and Rosaria Butterfield, my friend Rosaria, she she always says, "Stay, stay." In terms of this issue stay connected to your lgbtq child or friend or family member stay connected as much as you can love them as much as you can but don't become indoctrinated and that's what that's what my family members did um my my mother and my my sister-in-law especially in particular they they believed all of my siblings believed home still believe homosexual behavior is sinful they never changed their stance on that. My parents never changed their stance on that. And 
but they loved me so generously over the years. And I have the receipts. I'm going to show, I did an episode on my show about this, but um, my mother, instead of my mother trying to, or my, even my, my father, instead of them trying to sort of manipulate me or badger me into the kingdom somehow or bludgeon they did something more way more uh powerful and they prayed and i they i didn't even know my mother was praying this i just got i just found my sister-in-law sent this to me a couple few months ago this letter that she just found um and my mother it's called she typed a letter to god and it's called a prayer for beckett and this is the point the first point of her prayer the first prayer point is in the supernatural realm because she says, deal aggressively with the enemy, come against him in the all-powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So my mother knew instinctively, my mother knew that this was a spiritual battle. This wasn't something she could fix in the, in the, in the natural realm. This wasn't something my family could fix in the natural realm. Um, but in terms of, going to gay weddings and, and pronouns and that stuff it's again going the problem with going to there are several problems but going to a gay wedding i actually right after i got saved um i was invited to i i was a a uh i was invited to a gay wedding by two of my agents and one of my agents was gay the other was a woman and they invited me to his wedding and at the time I thought, oh, like I was kind of put on the spot and we were at dinner and they, and they asked me, are you going to Tim's, you know, are you going to Tim's wedding? And I said, of course I'm going. And I didn't really have time to think it through. But once I got to the wedding, it, I had I just like, I had this sinking feeling because everyone there at this ceremony was there to celebrate this, this union between two men. And I just, I felt like it was the worst feeling I felt. Um, and so not only are you, are you celebrating sin, but you're also there and you're, you're, you're um, joining in this commitment to, to, uh, to, to have this couple live together forever in sin. So you're joining, you're joining in that, uh, that, commitment. And so that's the, that's the real danger of it. And I know it's difficult for parents who have a child who's gay. It's very difficult, but I know that, for example, if my parents, if I, let's say I got, let's say that I got married, even though gay marriage wasn't legal in before 2009, but um, let's say I got married to a man, I would not expect my parents to come to the wedding um, and if they did, I would, I would almost in a way not respect them as much anymore because I, I would just feel like their beliefs, they didn't have strong convictions. And, and so I think people actually respect when, when two, when, when a prodigal does eventually come back that for, for me, I, I really respected that my parents stuck to their guns in terms of this issue and my, my siblings stuck to their guns and their convictions. And, and so, uh, I know it seems like 
and, and, and also going to the, the reception after the wedding, some people think, you know, oh, well, I, I won't go to the ceremony, but I'll go to the reception. But the problem with that, too, is the reception is more celebration. It's actually even more celebration of this union between two people, between two men or two women. And so that is uh, that's dangerous because you're, you're signaling to not only the participants, but you're signaling to everyone in attendance that you are on board with this. And, you know, as, as Christians, we're to be a light in this world. And so in terms of pronouns, um, I, 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 I would never use someone's preferred pronouns because you're indulging in a lie. You're indulging and in, you're aiding and abetting a lie. And so uh, I, I would I would not do that because obviously we know God created God. We're, we were God created human beings as binary. <laughs> we're not non-binary. And so he created male and female. And so we can't as believers even I, I'm, I'm stunned when I see believers have in their kind of social media profiles, like pronoun, even if it's just, you know, a, a guy and he says he, him, I'm like, just by putting he, him in your profile, even if you're a, you know, a straight guy, uh, you're signaling that you're implying that there are multiple uh, gender, that, that gender is fluid. And so, um, that so that's why I I wouldn't uh, indulge in in pronouns. Um, obviously, if I'm with someone who is trans or someone who is whatever, I'm going to be loving. I mean, where I'm going to love that person. I, it's not. Uh, but I, I but in 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 general, I'm not going to indulge in that kind of um, in that lie. It's a. Is it disin? You think it's disingenuous to. In in some sense, you have a worldview, and to deny that worldview is to pretend and to make believe with them, and that it it gives credibility to their ground to their stance. Is that just generally what I'm hearing you saying? So to play along with that is to, um, to display a cognitive dissonance of hey, I'm going to adopt your worldview for the sake of celebration in the name of love. While I know and you know that I'm entirely against this union, I'm totally against the use of this of language in this way. I have a theological conviction, but I'm willing to lie for you in the name of love, and that that's disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, what is love? I mean, Paul says love. He he says love in First Corinthians thirteen, or is it? Yeah, um, you know, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. So uh, that actually isn't love. It, it seems like love, but it actually is not love because you're when you are engaging, when you're when you're going to gay weddings or when you're, you know, using people's preferred pronouns, you're rejoicing at wrongdoing. And so that is it's actually unloving um, because here's the thing, you know. I eternity is at stake, you know, the, the, like again, I'm so grateful to those, those young people who told me that homosexual behavior was sinful because eternity is at stake. This isn't, you know, this is a serious issue. And, and so, yeah, I just, uh, I think as, as believers, we have to just like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood firm in their con convictions. They didn't bow down to the culture. 
They didn't bow down to the golden statue. They were willing to go into a fiery furnace, but because they knew what God's word said, and they refused to compromise God's word by one iota. And, and so I think we need to kind of recalibrate that. And the culture is so powerful and, you know, we can get into that maybe, but the culture is so powerful and that's why, you know, and we're inundated with the lies, the, the, the culture. I, I always tell young people when I speak at conferences with young people, I'm like, the culture is going to, the world is going to lie to you for the rest of your natural life. And you can either believe the lie of the cultures, the culture, or you can be, believe the, the, the truth of the word of God. And um, the, the lies are going to lead you to destruction. The truth is going to lead to life. So um, the culture is so powerful. And that's why I always say, if you watch an hour of Netflix, you've just been lied to. So now you need to read your Bible for an hour to renew your mind because you've just been lied to for an hour. You even got the tabs there. So we know you read it. Yeah. And that's, that's what, Did you just put those on what, right before the show? Yeah, I did. These are just props. Um, so that's, that's the thing is like, as in, you know, as Christians in this world, we have to be constantly in the word of God because we're, be, and this, and I find that you know believers aren't necessarily in the Word of God very much at all. So, but it's so it's so important because you know it, this it will constantly correct us and uh, and and constantly um, renew our minds. And so we need that um, every day. We need to be renewed every day, especially the culture we're in. Could you weigh into that idea of love and, and acceptance when it specifically is related to churches? Because we have these big mainstream churches. We've done some broadcasts recently um, on some of the Andy Stanley debacle stuff. Um, there's some well-known ministers, well-known pastors who are in the name of love, endorsing sin and condoning sin. And I say allowing sin. Um, I hope y'all don't hear me talking about overreaching with, with government or anything like that. What I'm, what I'm talking about is... Um, people within the congregation, that the household of God, church members, uh, leadership even in the church, serving in the church that are practicing in this lifestyle. One, could you speak into the, I know we're, we've got 10 minutes left in the show, but can you one speak into how, how that, I mean, you did a little bit just now, but how that's not really love and, and how there's a strict judgment for people who bow to the culture in that space. But then maybe on the other side also, uh, how do these people get to these theological conclusions um, in the name of love. It, it feels like it's an emotional decision that leads mm -hmm. them into a conclusion. Uh, but could you maybe speak into those two areas? Yeah, I mean, the word millstone comes to mind, but um, it's... No doubt. I, 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 that, that, that phenomenon that's happening now in, in large churches, in small churches around the country, around uh, in the West, and even in the Church of England, um, it's so distressing and again it's it's good intentions uh the the road to hell is paved with good intentions it's, it's people with good intentions thinking that they're being loving thinking thinking that they're being it's almost like um feeling kind of like i need to reverse the 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 way the church treated gays in the 80s and 90s 70s 80s and 90s or whatever in the past I need to reverse that. So I'm going to go, I'm, the pendulum is going to swing all the way to the other side and I'm going to affirm 
homosexual behavior. I'm going to affirm this transgenderism. I'm going to affirm it in my church because I think that's the most loving thing to do. Now, again, that is loving people to hell. Like it's, it's not, it's so, it's, it's shocking to me. It's so shocking to me that it's funny because in 2009, when I got saved, at my at my church and 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 in general christians were so you know at my church christians were so um supportive and loving and uh but now in the culture it's like it's like i'm kind of like the bad guy now in in some christian circles because i believe that homosexual behavior is a sin it's like i can't you know i i it's a lose-lose thing like when i came out as gay in the 80s you know it was bad when i came out you know come out as christian now it's bad who believes in the biblical biblical sexual ethic um so i can't win so you're on on like all the wrong sides of that one. i'm on the wrong side of history all the time um but yeah i mean the 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 fact that this is happening first of all i think it's a spiritual thing i think um you know, this is a, a demonic thing, and this is a, something that's happening in the spiritual realm. Satan is thrilled to death, literally, that he has so many Christians deceived with this issue, with LGBTQ ideology. He's thrilled. Uh, this is the new screw tape letters. You know, he's thrilled he's got so many people deceived by this, and he's laughing all the way to the bank he's he's just laughing his head off that christian not not just the culture but christians are falling for this and not only christians but pastors are falling for this and so um i i find it distressing alarming uh extremely disappointing and you know these churches are in my mind, these churches that are becoming gay affirming are apostate. They're the they're these pastors are apostate, and um, they're they're aiding and abetting, you know, sending people to hell like that. And it's like this is this is a major major problem. And and it's again, it's like, well, why are these pastors becoming gay affirming? What what is? Gee, I wonder why. Hmm, could it be the culture? I mean, be like 50 years ago. So homosexual behavior went from a behavior to an identity over the last 50 years. It went from a sin to a sacrament over the last 50 years. Hmm. And so what what's happened in the in that interim? What happened over the last 50 years? Well, obviously the culture. And, you know, it's like when you have the most powerful form of persuasion is media is tv movies um all kinds of things and uh, books and so when you have decades of tv shows will and grace um uh you know ellen the 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 sitcom ellen which was these came out in the 90s was a, a very uh seminal decade in terms of pushing the gay movement forward um because these were will and grace it's like when when you watch will and grace in the 90s you're like ah, these guys are hilarious and like there's so much fun and actually i was friends with sean hayes who played jack and the but like these these guys are hilarious they're so fun like how could this possibly be wrong and and then when queer eye for the straight guy came out and uh, premiered in 2003 i believe or 2005 um 2003 queer eye 
that was I that was such a turning point in our culture because it was the first time not only were women and gay men watching, but women's boyfriends and their husbands were watching the show and loving it. This is the when five gay guys would do makeovers on straight on, on clueless gay on clueless straight men. And and that's when that I remember this turning point. I, in fact, when this show first came out in 2003, I told a friend of mine, I said, this is a game changer. This is going to change everything. And I was happy about it. Obviously, I was I was a gay man. And then Brokeback Mountain 2005 and and then marriage becomes legal in 2015. Um, and Bruce Jenner's on the cover of Vanity Fair in 2015 as well as Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, so it's like, gee, I wonder what's happened. <laughs> I wonder why I believe the things I believe. And again, it's because of the power of the culture. And also, I think there is a supernatural demonic element as well to it. And, um, and so, uh, I know we're running out of time, but I mean, if you read after the ball, which is actually not available anymore. But after the ball was written by two Harvard guys in 1989, and it was basically a manifesto on how to normalize homosexual behavior in America. The subtitle to the book is how America will conquer its fear and hatred of gays in the nineties. And what they say in this book is stunning because every single thing they said, they say in this book came true. Um, I'll just, I'll just, if you if you'll indulge yeah. me, I'll just say one, Please I'll do. just read one quote. Um, the purpose of an effective pro-gay propaganda is to pr promote a climate of increased tolerance for homosexuals. And that we say is good. Propaganda relies more upon emotional manipulation than upon logic, since its goal is in fact, to bring about a change in the, in the public's feelings. And, uh, and they say the main thing is to talk about gayness until the issue becomes thoroughly tiresome. <laughs> and they go, it goes on and on and on. But um, it's pretty, pretty amazing how uh, this manifesto, everything they said came true hmm. in our wow. culture. Okay. Well, so I know we're close to out of time, but I'm just going to go ahead and dip in and ask another question. And then we'll maybe we'll, after this question, maybe we'll just kind of summarize everything and, and share some closing thoughts. But okay. uh I just want to follow up on one of the things you said, you talked about how these churches that are affirming you would consider apostate churches. So no longer, uh, no longer real churches. I agree with you, by the way, but um, I want to follow up with that because there are some people who are watching and, and I hear this argument all the time that like, Hey, we affirm the Nicene Creed. This is the historic position of the Christian church. We affirm historic Christianity and all the same doctrines that you do. And, you know, you're picking one sin. I don't see you picking gossip or picking uh, slander or greed or any of these other things. And, and hey, I affirm the Nicene Creed, and you're just picking out this one sin to pigeonhole me as a heretic. Uh, but, ag again, I'm, I stand on the historic doctrine of the church. What would you say to somebody who comes? Uh, that, so you, you've called it an apostate church, and they respond in that way. What do you say? Well, again, I like I said, they're gay pride parades, but not greed pride parades. So it's become we've set we celebrate homosexual behavior in our culture to an extreme, uh, just such an extraordinary and extreme extent that um, and again, those other sins that you were talking about, like gossip and, you know, 
people in churches are hopefully repenting and confessing those sins and repenting of that. But again, if you don't think that homosexual behavior is wrong, why would you repent of it? And that's the key difference between this specific sin and those sins. So, um, yeah, that, but yeah, that's yeah. why, and, and the Bible, the, you know, the Bible, it's, it's so utterly clear from the beginning to from cover to cover. The Bible is clear on homosexual behavior. There's no, mm-hmm. it's like, what do you want your, do you want to have endless debates about this? Like, what do you want your life to be? You know, do you want to just have endless debates on what the Bible says about homosexuality? <laughs> it's like, or do you want to just submit to the, to God's word? And, you know, act, it's be, not unclear. After, yeah, it's not unclear. And, and, and in the Greek, the Hebrew, everything, it's not unclear. Um, but after I got saved, I was so happy that because I, before I was a Christian, I lived in a postmodern world. I didn't know what was right, what was wrong, what was up, what was down. After I got saved, I, I understood the boundaries that God created. And I, I love the boundaries that God creates in terms of sexuality. I love that it's between, you know, sexuality is a good thing. God created sex, but it's to be expressed in marriage, a covenant of marriage between one man, one woman for life. Anything outside of that leads to, to pain, error, destruction. And I am so happy to know that now. And I love being obedient to God. Actually, being obedient is a, is a joy actually now to, to be obedient because I know I have a father in heaven who cares about me. It's like, it's like my father, I, my father, when my sisters were in high school, they would sneak out <laughs> and go like see their boyfriends or whatever. But I, I specifically remember seeing my dad nailing their window shut in their bedroom. And why did my dad do that? He did that because he loved my sisters and he didn't want them to suffer harm. And that's the same thing with our heavenly father. He doesn't want us to be thrown into harm's way. And and now I get that and I love that. I love that we have these boundaries. It makes me feel safe. Yeah, amen. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, and, and I just love it, just even in your conversion story and where it's brought you to today, where you're saying, I love the law of God. That I, it makes me think of that uh, verse where, where John, uh, the apostle John says that his commands are not burdensome and that there, there is this thing where it's like, because we become a new creation, we can delight in the law of God. We can delight in God's ways. And it doesn't have to be like our whole life, like, man, this sure is terrible, but I guess I'll follow God. Like, it's actually joy. And what's terrible is drinking deep from a muddy river of sin and calling that life. <laughs> so, yeah, that uh, was a burden. That was a burden for me. That is, itself was when I was living that life. That was a heavy burden on me, not knowing the truth, not knowing the meaning of life, not knowing what was right or wrong. That was that was the burden. Right. Absolutely. And. And, you know, there is also a, a, a historic name for the, the like the idea that like I can affirm the Nicene Creed and avoid all biblical morality. Uh, there is a historic name for that, uh, for those who would want to accuse us of, uh, of castigating someone who affirms a historic creed. And it's uh, the historic name for it is antinomianism, to be anti-law. And what I hear yeah. you, Beckett, is I, I love the law of God. I, I love the word of God. I love every word in it. It's true. And my... My heart delights in it. And that's the attitude of somebody who's born again. 
So uh, it, anyway, I know there are some people who are listening. It's like, yeah, this is this is so hard, and it's so. Yes, I and by the way, I, and, and by the way, I just want to say those who are listening, I, I don't want to minimize how difficult this is to you know. Yeah. This is a difficult thing to this struggle. The struggle is real. I get it. It's a difficult thing to to deal with. It's a difficult sin to deal with. Um. So, my heart is I. I my you know I I uh, I get it and and that's why we need the body of Christ. We need others in the body of Christ to bear our burdens with us and to pray for us and to to support us. And so yeah, I I get it. It's not easy. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Josh, uh, I, BJ gave a little show, his comment over here. He says, this show has been hosted by Michael Roundtree and Beckett Cook with a cameo from Joshua Lewis. So, Josh, <laughs> is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, where are I you, Josh? Am, I am Josh Lewis, and I approve this message. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I guess that means Josh wants me to close out the show. Uh, we're, we're a couple minutes late here. Uh, Josh Beckett, do you guys have any kind of closing thoughts? Josh, I'll volley it over to you first. Uh, anything that you'd like to just put in a nutshell for us to take home with us? Yeah. Um, I know this is going to be an unpop, maybe an unpopular way to close. And, and for a guy who hasn't talked a lot of, you know, I've, I've, there's not been a lot of compassion talk on my end. I, I think though that we, um, you, you usually like to frame these things in really, you know, big terms of compassion so that when you say something that's strong, you know, that, not because you're a jerk and I certainly don't want to be a jerk but at the same time um, the law of God stands against all of our sinful desires and it it's interesting even the way that pastors talk about sin today uh, it's it's really interesting we we talk about it as if it's um, this thing that you can't help but do when 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 we're talking about the law of God it is also talked about in a way that's the wrath of God abides on those who are actively in rebellion against the will of God, right? Like we, we, we've broken his law. We're deserving of death and destruction. And when we talk about the thing that's causing death and destruction, we have to talk about it in those terms and in uncertain, like in no uncertain terms, we have to clearly state the law of God is clear. Um, what sexual union looks like the law of God is clear, what our morals and ethics should be lived out. Um, and, and I don't claim to say that if you obey the law of God, you inherit eternal life. But, but if you violate the law of God, you are damned for eternal destruction. And, and that's not a popular mm -hmm. thing to say, but it is a biblical thing to say. Um, and as Christians, we say, hey, the law can show us what evil is. It can show us what good is. But we have to look to Christ Jesus to inherit that righteousness. So as much as we've talked about homosexuality on the show and, OK, this is what Christians think about it. This is what Christians don't think about it. Just give you a quick summarized way of giving this opportunity for the person that's watching the show and is feeling the angst they're feeling the 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 condemnation maybe the weight of their sin we've we've addressed biblically how these things flesh out uh, you just need to know if you're watching this program uh, no matter what sin tendency you have if it's this one or another one um, you don't get free from hellfire and you don't get free from internal judgment because you stopped doing a bad thing uh, you get free from those things and you get you get, you get life everlasting by faith alone in Christ Jesus when you trust in him, he empowers you by the Holy Spirit to change your actions and to repent of your sins. And the bondage that you're living in, uh, the weight of sin and the wrath of God that abides on you, 
no longer abides on you when you have faith in Christ Amen. Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to repent of your sins. So, so the same message of Jesus and the apostles, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of his, is at hand. As, as Paul said, when he's t- speaking to Felix, he preached to both Jews and to Greek to repent and believe. Our lifestyle um, for all of us, heterosexual, homosexual, is pit towards hell. Uh, we, we, we are we're destined for condemnation and destruction because we don't believe, but Christ has come to give everlasting life and a transformative everlasting life, a relationship with God in Christ Jesus by faith and trust and repentance. So I would just encourage you, if you're out there, no matter where you land on the spectrum, if you're learning uh, about all of these different nuances, the most important thing you can walk away from the show remembering is salvation uh, in your life comes from Christ and through Christ alone. Um, anyway, I, I, they said, Hey, Josh, say something. So, uh, there's the altar call. Uh, I see that hand. Josh, I see that hand back it over to you, my friend. Yeah. I mean, I would just say a couple things. Uh, first of all, Philippians three, eight, I count everything as law. Everything is rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ right. Jesus, my Lord and Jesus, everything, Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. He, everything else pales in comparison to a relationship with Christ. And the closer you are to Christ, the closer, you, the more intimate you become with him, the, the less appealing the world is, the less appealing sin is. So uh, I would just leave it there and say, you know, it just, I just think of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's the better sacrifice, better than angels, better than, you know, he's, Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. So go to him. He's the source. Amen. Amen. Well, Beckett, such a a joy to have you on the show and get to interact with you a little bit. And so I love the way God's flourishing your channel over there, guys. Make sure you you check out the Beckett Beckett Cook show on YouTube. And it's it's really good. Got a lot of, he answered all kinds of questions as episode after episode. So uh, on, uh, on this subject and just addressing issues and culture. So make sure you guys check that out. And uh, Beckett, what's the name of your book? A Change of Affection. Ooh, I love that. Change of Affection. And so in, in the book, the book is is not just my testimony, but it's also the second half of the book is uh, I, I reflect on this, this issue from all different kinds of angles. So um, anyway, A Change of Affection. Yeah. Praise God. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we are a crowdfunded uh, ministry. And so if you look in uh, if you look in the description of this video, you can find you can make a, a recurring donation on Patreon and have access to exclusive content for as little as five dollars a month. Or you can make a one time donation through PayPal. All that's in the description of this video. And uh, guys, uh, tune in on Wednesday. We'll be back. We'll be continuing that series on open but cautious. Well, Josh, am I right? Is this week we have one more open but cautious? Uh, uh, yes, uh, it's it's kind of an yeah. interesting open but cautious episode. We're talking about being closet charismatics. Oh yeah, um, that's as in yep. I believe I'm a charismatic theologically, but I'm hiding it in back rooms somewhere in my church. And the <laughs> uh, the graphic I thought was quite funny. I thought it was, it was Benny Hen with a little. Little nose and little glasses. Good job, Josh. Josh, good job. Y'all let y'all let Josh know in the chat what you think of his graphic <laughs> with emojis. My thumbnails uh, are on, he, on spot. Josh, Josh finds his self worth in in that. So, um, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. I'm leaving the camera on you for the mean things. Come you said on, to me. Josh. Just because I.
want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.